HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Greg Blaze, filling in for Ann Saxelby. On today's show, we're going to be talking about pasta filata cheeses, and specifically um, mozzarella. These are pulled curd cheeses. So as a cheesemonger over the years, and I've been one for quite a while, I've, uh, I've realized the way that uh, both consumers and professionals judge the quality of the cheese that they sell, and uh, where we sort of rank and rate cheeses and you know the importance of uh, where things where things go in stores, how we sell them, and who buys them. And as I've as I've grown and I've moved around the cheese world, I realize that there's this one family of cheeses that, in my opinion, it's not that they get shut out, but they get sort of they're not they're not ignored, but they're treated in a different way. And those are pasta filata cheeses, specifically mozzarella. So. As I've taken on a new role in my career, I work for Italy, which is a very mozzarella-centric place. I thought it would be a great idea to, as my inaugural hosting of Cutting the Curd, talk about what I knew best or what was around me the most. And uh, so I thought I'd bring in a couple of people, uh, one who pulls curd all day for me. Um, he's sort of a captive, and his name is Patrick Molinari. He's here in the studio with me today. Welcome, Patrick. Thank you, Greg. And... Uh, also a producer of mozzarella curds, one of the best in the, in the country, and it's one of the best I've had, um, Rin Caputo from Caputo Brothers Creamery. She's also with us on the phone. Yes, hi. How you doing, guys? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm excellent, excellent. Just back from Italy. I so know. Glad to be a part of the show. Fantastic. When did you get in? Uh, yesterday. And you were down in uh, southern Italy um, exploring... Uh, Pasta filata cheeses, or where were you this time? I was, in fact, yes. I uh, I was uh, checking out some some great new stuff. I had uh, cacio induya for the first time, which oh, yeah. is induya uh, with provolone wrapped around it, and I thought that was pretty special. So yeah, it was a great trip. 
that was a product that we uh, we had for a minute at our Earth Day celebration at Italy. It yes, was fantastic. exactly. Yeah. yeah, tried to bring some surprises your way. So. <laughs> and you always do. Um, I know that I know that you've been on the on cutting the curd. I know you've been on the show um, a few times before, and I know you were just on uh, last month uh, uh, talking about your uh, your cheese journey. But I was wondering if you could just repeat just for uh, you know those of uh, those listeners out there that don't that don't know you, which I'm sure there are, are very few <laughs> because you're a very famous lady. <laughs> um, you know um, what uh, Caputo Brothers are all about, what they do, and um, how you produce uh, your curd, and where where you fit into the mozzarella making process. Sure. So we. Um you know, we started this journey about eight years ago when my husband and I left our corporate jobs and moved to Italy to go to culinary school. And uh, we went to culinary school down in Calabria, the toe of Italy. And it was at that point that we first learned how to make um, pasta filata cheeses, among other cheeses. But that was certainly the one that tugged at our heartstrings for sure. Um, as you probably know, mozzarella is the number one cheese, you know, consumed in this country. Um, as do. you mentioned in your intro, it's often overlooked, but, um, you know, I, I, I sometimes make the analogy that it's the white Zinfandel <laughs> of the cheese world, you know, it's like, every, if it's on a menu, somebody will buy it, but, um, you know, people just kind of look down their nose at it, and, um, but it's a, it is a very special cheese, something that we fell in love with, both the traditional mozzarella di bufala and the, uh, cow's milk pure de latte. And uh, just kind of took off on that journey. It took us to Pennsylvania, Spring Grove specifically, where we partnered with a, a grass-fed dairy that has just some unbelievable milk. And we started making cheese, mozzarella cheese, pasta salata cheese curds that um, are made in the traditional style. So they're, they go through a full fermentation. And uh, what we figured out is that the problem with that is uh, it has a really short shelf life. Um, and these cheeses are cheeses that are meant to be eaten the day they're made. So we figured out a way to be able to freeze the curds that would pause the fermentation and allow us to ship them all over the country and just teach people how to stretch um, the cheese themselves so they can enjoy the cheeses the way they were intended the day it's made. Well, you do a great job of that, and we purchased curds from you at uh, at Italy, and uh, I know that you've worked um, with my guy Patrick. Um, yes, and uh, we love Patrick. I was hoping maybe Pat, you could tell us um, how you got into the process of uh, being a mozzarella maker. Okay, so um, I start with a food background. My family owned a restaurant growing up, and it was on Tenth Avenue and Fifteenth Street. It was called Frank's Restaurant. It was a it was a steakhouse. And traditionally, as Italian-Americans, we did a lot of traditional Italian things. We would make fresh pasta for Christmas and Easter. We would make prosciutto, some cup of colas. We always kind of had Sunday dinner, a big family, all of these things that traditional Italians and Italian-Americans do. So then a couple cousins get into Italy. And, of course, they bring another family member along. What can you do? <laughs> there, there are many Molinaris that work at Italy. There are bakers. There are butchers. There are cheesemakers. Right. <laughs> And so um, my cousin Peter texted me. He said, you know, there's an opening down in, down in Italy. Come through. Talk to, talk to the GM, being Greg. And I came through. I talked with Greg. I worked with a guy named Ricky who I ended up replacing because he was leaving. And I got into the mozzarella making industry. Well, 
as a guy who who works with you every day, I can say that you're you're fantastic at what you do. Um, what you made me realize, you particularly, and you too, Rin, is that um, mozzarella isn't this thing. As a cheesemonger, I used to get mozzarella that was not made on you know on the premise on the premises, no matter where I was. Before I moved to New York City, I didn't really even realize what mozzarella was all about. And I've been a cheesemonger for about for about twenty years. But you know, after meeting you guys and working with you guys, it, it made me it made me realize you know how special it was to get curds that were made in a traditional way and have someone pull them in a traditional way and also how rare that is, especially in a Mm. retail setting. Um, Mm. And I was hoping maybe, Rin, you could speak to that because, you know, I I don't get to travel that much. Italy is a (laughs) a beast, so I'm there a long time tending it. But, you know, do you see a lot of of, – People, a lot of programs in a re- on a retail setting, mm-hmm. uh, where people are are pulling their curd like they do in the Casaficio that I know that you visit when you go to Southern Italy. Right. Yeah. So essentially, you know what what we do and and what we're finding, you know, Greg, and you're totally right. There's so much education that goes on, um, you know, with this particular cheese, and and I like to call it the gateway cheese because I feel like because it is a cheese that so many people love and have such passion for, um, it's a great way for retail locations um, and even restaurants to, to bridge people who might be nervous about cheese or not know a lot about it. It's a good way to entice them to learn. Um, so what we're seeing is, is a lot of education. We're doing a lot of classes at retail shops. We're starting to see shops. Um, go with more of an Italy model where they're maybe if they're not doing it seven days a week, a couple days a week, they're stretching um, to order so that people can come in and get the fresh mozzarella. Because, like, you know, I mean, if you've never had it fresh, just stretched, then you never had it. It's uh, just not You just haven't. It, it isn't. Yeah. And it's, yeah. to me, it's not so much an Italy model because when I started to do this, uh, I would. I worked at Dean and DeLuca, and I would walk down to to Joe's Dairy and pick up yes. uh, mozzarella from the Casaficio. But they they closed um, in my time doing it. And then I was buying from Leone. Um, I bought from Aleva, but they were all different operations than the one that I have now. They were. I never saw the pot. I never saw who was pulling the mozzarella. I never. Right. I never. I just wasn't connected to the process ever. And now I totally yeah. am, and it's uh, it's completely fascinating to me. <laughs> you know, um, uh, you know, we use we use a, a few types of curd. Uh, at Italy, Patrick, how many uh, how many do we got? How many do we have now? When I started, we were using about four, and now we're using about three. So we've lost one along the way, but kind of cut that out, and it wasn't exactly an issue. It was actually for the benefit of our cheese making program. So we work with about three. One being Rin's exceptional product, being the fermented Caputo <laughs> Brothers curds. Then we work with Toscana Farms, which is a bigger operation. They produce a lot. That's our main go-to curd. We we stretch about 1,500 pounds of that a week. So we're doing about 200 pounds a day, you know, a very big volume of that. And then in a pinch, we'll use a Belgioso curd, which is made in Wisconsin. It's kind of our go-to commercial product when we're short on the Toscana product. Could you just tell me and tell us um, – what are the differences between the three curds that you use? Which ones do you prefer and why? Okay, so the Belgioso is commercialized, very industrial, very 
What do you mean by that? It behaves the same way every time. It feels the same way. It tastes the same way. It's always the exact same product every single time that you buy it. Now, the Toscana changes week to week because he's sourcing his milk from up and down the East Coast. So sometimes you get a fresher product. Sometimes the cows are eating grass instead of eating feed when they're inside over the winter. So the milk is fresher, therefore making a better curd. And then Rin's product is incredible. It's fermented. It's got that tangy kind of grab, a great alternative to a buffalo curd that was not available to us in this country. So, um, like I said, I love working with the Toscana curd and then Rin's product as that kind of special, not necessarily an everyday, but when you're really looking for something exceptional, that's what I like to go to. Rin, do you provide a lot of retailers with your curd, uh, uh, larger format retailers? I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, I feel like you sell to a lot of restaurants, um, people who make, less, uh, who make less curd, just because you have a longer process. I mean, the fermentation process that you use to create your curd, maybe you can speak to that from, uh, sure. to, to, for a moment and how that differs from the Toscano that, uh, that Patrick is buying. Sure. So, um Essentially what we do, um, what, what most of the curd producers do in, in 30 minutes takes us about eight hours. So our fermentation process is what we like to call low and slow. Um, we add um, um, cultures that go in and naturally produce acidification. Um, so they're, they're eating up the lactose, which is what's producing that tang that Patrick is referring to. It's really that that cheese flavor um, that, you know, in our opinion, you get from that traditional Italian-style mozzarella cheese. And that's what we're really trying to, to you know, yeah. replicate. Well, um, and it's, it's you know, I, I would like to make more. <laughs> Unfortunately, our herd size is, um, is limited, so we can only produce so much. We are in the process of growing, but... You know, in the milk world, it doesn't just happen overnight. You know, we have to bring cows on slowly. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, certainly we're we're growing, you know, faster than than we can kind of keep up with. But um, you know, we our our goal is to you know really just be out there and educating people and letting them know what it is that they're what they're purchasing and how it the impact it impacts their body and how it it impacts their flavor and you know, of the cheeses that they're using, and, and, and not just mozzarella, but stracciatella and burrata and burrino and foglia and scamorza and cacciacavallo, all of these beautiful pasta filata cheeses that just, you know, as, as you have mentioned, kind of get overlooked. We're just trying to educate people on, you know, what it is that they should be looking for in those cheeses. I, I think for me, it's, and it's not so much that they're over, overlooked, it's that they're undersold and... Uh... <laughs> And that they, there you go. Well, uh, I, I know in a prior show that you, uh, that you spoke of something that was very important to you, that you and your husband wanted to give the consumers of your product uh, a little taste of Italy in their mouths. Yes, absolutely. And, Free and, trip. And, <laughs> and, and that's, um, that's, that's tough to do. When, when I, like I said, why I wanted to just talk for a little bit is just because – I was definitely awakened uh, working working at Italy and actually just moving to New York City where 
where I've been for about 17 years on and off. I didn't know what mozzarella was all about, and I just because I had this awful thing called low moisture mozzarella when I was a kid, which reminds me of like a Seinfeld episode where the low flow shower heads that you couldn't like quite wash shampoo out of your hair with, and like that just was bad stuff. I didn't know what it was or why people would eat it. It was rubbery and tasteless, either that or it was salty, and you know I. You know, as I've grown as a cheesemonger, uh, you know, I, I think it's interesting for me uh, to come back to things like scamorza, mozzarella, mozzarella di bufala, um, right. sriracha that are so ancient and so simple in their method, yet so maybe I think maybe they got lost somewhere along the line. Or... Yeah, you know, and it's interesting, Greg, because probably the most common response that we get from people who've maybe only ever been exposed to the low-moisture part skim um, you know, what they say to us is, I knew somewhere inside that it was supposed to taste like this. <laughs> you know, it's like they, they, they you know, they want to root for it. You know, they want this cheese to be something more than what maybe they've been exposed to. And when they find it, it's this amazing response because it's already a cheese that people love. So when you show them, like, Here's the true form. They're just like, you know, they're like our biggest cheerleaders because of it. Because they're like, we knew, we knew. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, Patrick, when you were um, growing up, you grew up on Staten Island. Yes. And um, what was mozzarella to you where you grew up? So, like Greg said, I kind of had that same interaction with the low moisture, kind of very dry, kind of sits in your stomach for. But three did you days. have people pulling curds out there when you grew up? We have a members couple, of your family. No members of my family actually made cheese. We were more on the salumi side. We uh, made copas and prosciutto, like I have said. But fresh mozzarella was a thing. There's a few Italian markets over in Staten Island that make mozzarella. I don't know if they do it every day, but they definitely do it a couple times a week, where you would be able to receive or purchase a, a fresh piece of mozzarella. Fresh as in hours old? Definitely not the way that we do it at work. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I also heard you written on a, on a prior show say that, you know, that mozzarella time was mentioned in hours. Do you think we can ever get to a spot in, uh, in our culture here and in cheese culture in the United States where we can uh, tell people something like that? You know, I certainly hope so. I mean, I feel like you know, it's that aha moment that people have when they taste it that way. And so, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's funny. We just experienced this on our, our, our trip over in Italy. I was, I was working with a, a winemaker and he was trying to say that, um, you know, that, that you can't drink his wine unless the bottle has been open six hours. And so someone in our group asked him, well, you know, if, so what do you do? to make it go faster if you don't have six hours to wait. And he said, well, then you just drink a different wine. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I would love to see us get more to that mentality where we say, well, if I can't have mozzarella made, I eat, and I can't eat mozzarella that was made just within a few hours, well, then I'm, I'm not going to eat mozzarella. Um, and so, yes, I would absolutely love to see us get to that point where people could enjoy stracciatella the way it was intended within four hours of being made, you know. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's my hope that that, that that happens. And the more we educate people and I think get out there and show people this is what it should be, I think the more people are going to start demanding that that's how their mozzarella is made. I agree. Well, there needs to be more of you so you can clone yourself. <laughs> 
so, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> so we're going to have to take a little bit of a break, just a short break. But um, when we come back, we'll continue our discussion with Patrick Molinari and Rin Caputo. Thanks a lot. We'll be right back. I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. You know, there's no more telling aspect, no more revealing virtue of a group of people having evolved in a lovely way than how they feed themselves, how they entertain, how they put food on the table, what they put on the table. Heritage Radio Network provides the clearest evidence that there's hope for us yet. Heritage Radio is like Fairway Market in that we both care deeply about what you're having for dinner tonight. Heritage Radio Network is not just about food, though. Every time I tune in, I learn something about things other than food, too. Architecture, design, stuff like that. But from where I stand, I still say, if you can't eat it, what's the point? For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. Welcome back um, to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. Again, I'm your host, Greg Blaze. I'm uh, here with Patrick Molinari, the head uh, mozzarella maker at Italy, and Rin Caputo, owner of the Caputo Brothers Creamery. And uh, we're just dishing about uh, mozzarella and pasta filata cheeses and their place in the cheese culture and food culture in America. Um, so welcome back. Rin, right before we went to break, um, you were talking about um, stracciatella, which... Um, People at Italy clamor for and uh, something. <laughs> oh, they do, and it's 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 uh, it's interesting because I've seen you make it, and you you and Patrick make it, especially with uh, with your curd. We've we've fiddled around uh, with a, we we've used different kinds of curd to make it. We've used the, the Caputo Brothers curds, which we prefer, and uh, we've also used the Toscano, and we've used the Belgioso when we've had to. Um, but I feel like that is like there's burrata, which you know uh, mm-hmm. people know. Um, but stracciatella, I feel, is the most. I don't know. I'm be wrong. Like that's like the uh, that's the most decadent of all of the pasta filata um, offerings. I don't know. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, when people tell me, you know, when they meet me and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I love burrata. It's my favorite cheese." I always say. No, you don't love burrata. And they go, no, 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 I do. And I'm like, no, it, you know, there's nothing special about the thin layer of mozzarella nothing. around the outside. What you love is what's on the inside. Well, you want the goo. That's not Chatella, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, yeah. It's like the uh, uh, Cadbury's cream egg. I just, uh, yes. I just pop it open yes. and lick out the, uh, the center, and I toss the shell away or hostess exactly. cupcakes or anything exactly. awful that I've been filling my face with for like 38 years, except for stracciatella is actually good. Um, yes. But I, we, 
you know, I was wondering just if you could explain um, to our listeners uh, what what the process of uh, stracciatella is. Well, how do you make stracciatella? Well, first, you got to start with a little history, and this is one of the things I love about the Italians because they waste absolutely nothing. So stracciatella is a cheese that comes from Andria, which is a town in Puglia, uh, the heel of Italy. And in Andria, one of the main pasta falata shapes they're known for is a shape called nobini, which just means not in Italian. It's, it's uh, cow's milk mozzarella that's been tied into a knot. And so if they don't sell all of the nobini today... Um, they would hold it refrigerated overnight. But, you know, most Italians believe that if mozzarella has been refrigerated, if, if only for one day, well, then it no longer has the proper texture, that getting it too cold kind of takes away its tenderness. I agree. So, yeah, so what they, what they started doing is they would, you know, open those knots back up and they would peel them apart into strings. And so that's where the straccia, the stracciatella comes from, like most people know, if they know the word stracciatella, they know it for the gelato, which is yes. strings of chocolate on a on a, a plain gelato base. Um, so, you know, basically they took those strings and they wanted to tenderize them to bring them back to that soft form. So, you know, how do we tenderize things? We put them in heavy cream. And oh, yeah. so they would then soak those strings in salted heavy cream. And it would, it, it essentially, the, the strings start to cross culture because heavy cream is so rich in lactose, but it starts to break down those strings and, and even thicken the cream. And it kind of does a cross culturing, so you end up with a little bit of creme fraiche in there. But um, essentially, it, what it does is it tenderizes those strings and just makes them with the cream and a little bit of salt added back in. I mean, decadent doesn't even. You know, as the Italians say, buona notte. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So Patrick, as a, a person who makes that by hand, is that a pretty labor-intensive process? It definitely is. So we start with rinse curds. Um, at four hours at room temperature, they, they, they thaw out and they're perfect acidity to make mozzarella. So then we add a little hot water and salt, make a regular bowl of mozzarella. We stretch it into this long piece of mozzarella, kind of more like a ruler or a long meter stick cool it off in the cold water instead of making that aesthetically pleasing ball of mozzarella that everybody looks for and then we pull it apart into strings and you know since the high demand at work we um we have to make about 15 20 pounds of this stuff just the strings of mozzarella and so you know some person is there pulling it apart whether it be me whether it be chris christina or christiana you know all of these people that make mozzarella these are all the mozzarella makers at italy Thank you. And um, so we pull it all apart. We mix it back with some really, really fresh Hudson Valley cream that's delicious. It's whipped a little bit so it's nice and thick. Heavy pinch of salt so it kind of has that grab to it. And then there you go. Stracciatella. It's delicious. Rinse people were there on Earth Day. They were making samples and everyone was going crazy about it. (laughs) Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. You couldn't give enough to the people. We were wondering where you were, Rin, but apparently you were – you know, uh, you know, I was in Italy. In a slightly better place than uh, the than the windowless room of uh, in the Flatiron District, <laughs> which we love. You, which we love. Yeah, yes. yeah. I mean, I, I got to tell you, it was uh, it was killing me not to be there. I, you know, I love being there. And Patrick and I always have a great time on those producer days. But yeah, I mean, you should definitely tell folks to mark their calendars for producer days at Italy because. You get some amazing bites of food there. It's fantastic. 
So we're almost out of time, but I wanted to ask um, you a question, both of you guys. Now, when I started to work, so I've been, at, like I said, I've been a cheesemonger for a long time, and I've run a lot of cheese counters, but I've never had to run uh, the production area, mozzarella production area, and it made me think of, uh, because it's so simple and it's so good and it's so approachable, so many people will come up to it, I'm, I'm always thinking, well, why don't I just peace out and steal Patrick <laughs> Steal somebody, buy a big metal pot, and rent like a tiny, inexpensive stall in the Essex market, and just yeah. make a you know make mozzarella, have a casafiche. Turn out tons. And I wonder because there's a lot of cheese shops. People have opened up a lot of cheese shops in the last five right. or six years in America, right. which is great. Um, but have you seen anybody open up like a little casafiche? Uh, or Patrick, would you want to open up a little casafiche? Yeah, so I'm propositioning. This you. is a little <laughs> loaded question from my boss. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But seriously, would would what do you think, Rinda? You think that people that 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 there are people out there would? I mean, is it is it profitable? Is it is it is yeah, it? Yeah, you know, here's what I think. I think that if you know people can sell mini cupcakes out of a window yeah, in New York that's what I'm City. Saying. That I think people would come in droves and buy fresh mozzarella if it was the right stuff or burrata. I absolutely think. I mean, you know, we have seen, um, we have seen some folks, you know, trying to go down that path. Um, and we, you know, we're, we're behind it 110%. So when you set up your stall in the Essex market, you let us know. We'll be there. <laughs> I think it would, in a New York City application, like, a roving, like I'm, you know, there's food trucks like just clogging every every yes. every <laughs> cross street in this town in Manhattan. There should be like a roving mozzarella pulling truck that just, yes. you know, we we'll get you in there, we'll stick you in there, and one day we'll advertise <laughs> that you're in there, and you just pull up on a steamy street corner in New York City and just make stracciatella for people in like 110 uh, degree weather this, uh, in August. Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> we'll get a big 18 wheeler and we'll just. Patrick, are you in? I'm in. I'm in if Greg's in. Well, that's awesome. Oh. Well, you know, I, I uh I'm glad that I that I got to uh that I get to dish with you guys a little bit. Um I think it's interesting to note as a, a side note, um what I always thought of when I thought of people who pull mozzarella um, were some older gentlemen. Um, all the pictures I've seen are of, like, very hairy-armed Italian gentlemen with <laughs> no gloves on, like, in their big pots of, like, buffalo milk water. But I think it's interesting that all of the, all of the mozzarella makers I have at Italy are, about, are in their mid to early 20s. And I yeah. think that's pretty yeah. cool that there are some people that are um, now 15 years younger than me, which just makes me sick to my stomach <laughs> that I'm even made it that long, um, that are doing this job and um, that we get to work with uh, with someone like you and that you're out there crusading for what you love and giving good product to, you know, to the people. Really yeah, thanks, it. man. I mean, we, um, we couldn't be happier with the response that we're getting right now. And, you know, I mean, our goal quite frankly, is to change the way that mozzarella is viewed in this country. And if I have to do it one person at a time, one bite at a time, I'm going to do it. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So thanks for uh, for helping us with the, uh, as, as Anne calls me, uh, you know, the, the mozzarella evangelist. You so. certainly are. <laughs> well, yeah. Thank you, Rin, and thank you, Patrick. Thank and you, uh, thank you all for listening to the show. Um, I'll be back next Monday with another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 